the, great, the first king of Israel, the great king, Saul, who stood head and shoulders above all the others, had seen his rule decline and collapse. And so he led one final battle against their arch enemies, the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel, the very last chapter, we're told the very sad story of the fall of the house of King Saul. Saul and three of his four sons had gone out to battle, and things had gone badly. The enemy, the, the Philistines, had surrounded them and gradually, systematically exterminated the whole family. First, the three sons, starting with Crown Prince Jonathan, and then eventually, the king himself. The archers of the Philistines had circled around the king, trapped him, and pierced him, pierced, the, pierced his armor with their arrows. It's a horrible scene. He's bleeding out. He knows he's about to die. He tells his armor bearer to take the sword and kill him, but the young man won't do it. He can't do it. Saul takes matters into his own hands, takes his own sword, falls on it, takes his own life, and ends the rule of that particular family. And when the news gets back to the king's palace, everyone there knows that something horrible and tragic is about to continue to happen because when one king falls and another king rises to the throne, well, the new king makes sure there's nobody left, no relatives to possibly be rivals. All of the children and grandchildren will be rounded up and systematically disposed of. So the news comes back to Jonathan's household. He's been killed. His father's been killed. The kingdom is lost. And they grab everyone and everything and run for it, including five-year-old Mephibosheth, Jonathan's little boy, the only blood heir other than the one uncle who was left. And we read the story unfold in the first few chapters of 2 Samuel, how this little boy uh, endures one tragedy after another. Not only does he lose his father and his grandfather in battle, but that same day, the nurse, in a panic, who took care of him, grabbed him and started to run like everybody else. And we're told in the scriptures that she's so hysterical, so panicked, that she drops him. And she doesn't just drop him. She drops him in such a way that it breaks both his legs, perhaps uh, disjoining his ankles. We're not sure, but in the panic, in the moment, they can't stop to spit bones or to get him medical treatment. They just keep running. And they run all the way to the end of the road to a place the Bible calls Lodabar. No pasture. <laughs> the middle of nowhere where they can hide. Because they know if the king ever comes looking, if he ever finds them, that'll be the end. So this five-year-old boy grows up in in poverty and fear. Day after day, everyone tells him, you know, if the new king ever comes, if he ever finds you, it, that's it. It's over. It'll be the end. He's after you. He's out to get you. And so, you know, you can only imagine the fear in his life day after day as he waits there in Lodabar, nowhere, the middle of the desert. And nine years later, 
when he's 14, the knock comes at the door. The guard from the new king, King David, demands that Jonathan's one surviving son come immediately to the palace. Mephibosheth doesn't know what we know. If we've read our Bibles or know the story, we know that his father Jonathan was David's very best friend. Remember David and Jonathan, Jonathan and David? <laughs> Back in the day when they hung out before, uh, before their, all of this conflict started, they actually made a promise to one another that if anything should ever happen to either one of them, the other one would take care of their kid. Nobody ever told Mephibosheth that. All they told him was that he had to be afraid of the king. So we watched the story unfold, and in 2 Samuel chapter 9, this 14-year-old boy is dragged into the king's presence. He can't walk. He can barely stand. And when he comes into the, to the royal palace, he falls on his face before the king in silence and waits. And then he hears the king, Mephibosheth. He didn't expect that. He, he didn't expect the king to call him by name. And the way the king's voice sounded wasn't cruel and, 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 and mean. It was actually kind of, it was kind. There was a kindness in the voice. Mephibosheth says, at your service. And then he hears some of the most incredible words he could possibly have imagined. I think more than he could ever have imagined. He hears words of promise and words of blessing as the king welcomes him into his family. And the story of Mephibosheth, this little boy wounded and broken by life who eventually grows to be a person of honor and have a place in the king's palace is the story of all of us. That's why I love it so much. That's why we're taking communion this way today. If you were here on my very first Sunday in the summer of 2013, we did this back then. We set the table to remind us that we come to the king's table when we come to take communion. This is a, this is a symbol of what eventually happened in the life of Mephibosheth and what happens in each of our lives when we come into contact with the King of Kings, Jesus, who loves us, despite the fact that many times when we think about him, we think about, you know, how powerful he is. We think about how holy and perfect he is and how fallen and broken we all are. I love this story. It's my story. The scripture tells us, let's go to the, to the biblical account of the story of Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul for whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? All the wars are over now. David has consolidated his power. He's feeling good about life. He wants to do something generous and magnanimous. And he remembers he remembers the commitment he made to Jonathan, the promise that he made back in the day. 
Is there anyone I can show love for Jonathan's sake, show kindness? Now, there was a servant at Saul's household named Ziba. So here's a context. Here's a link back to the good old days, right? And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. That's what you say when the king calls you in, right? At your service. You're the king and I'm not, right? At your service. Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Isn't that interesting? Before it was show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now it's, I want to show God's kindness. Has anybody here ever experienced God's kindness? They say that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's in the book of Romans. The kindness of God. The days when it's just good to be alive and you're not sure why. <laughs> the days when you feel blessed. When the work you do brings satisfaction to your heart. When the family you have feels like a great blessing. Uh, it happened a little bit ago when we held that baby. Thank God. God is so good. He is so kind. He is so generous. And in those moments, you know, we, we feel the kindness of God and we want to share the kindness of God. Don't we? So, is there someone I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar, out in the middle of nowhere. He's out there hiding. So King David had him brought, Mephibosheth, brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. I can only imagine. He must have been shaken in his boots. Uh, David said, Mephibosheth. And what did, what did Mephibosheth say back? That's what you say when you come to the king, right? At your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the lands that belong to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. <laughs> wow! Wow! What started out feeling like the worst day in his life now turns into the best day in his life. I mean, this is King Saul, right? He was a wealthy man. And all of his holdings, his entire estate is now passed on to his grandson Mephibosheth by order of King David he'll be taken care of for the rest of his life in fact we're told a couple of verses later that uh, along with this the king decreed that all of um, Jonathan's former households servants and laborers would now work for Mephibosheth and they would work the land and they would give him the profit so he would be taken care of financially. Wow. Wow. He, for nine years, he's been, you know, going from hand to mouth, from day to day, not knowing what would happen. Now he's taken care of. Now the king's kindness blesses him beyond anything he could imagine. And then there's that last part, and you will always eat at my table. 
<laughs> well, I wonder what it was like to eat at the king's table. I bet it was good. I bet there was bacon, right? I bet there was bacon. Well, maybe not. <laughs> now that I think about it, there wasn't any bacon. <laughs> uh, there was lamb. Uh, I'll have to figure that one out. But anyway, um, what meals they must have had. What an experience that must have been. Because he couldn't walk, he would have been carried by servants every day, brought to the palace, invited to the table, treated like family. Oh, which, when you stop to think about it, he really was, right? I mean, he was a prince. He would have been in the royal line. He had royal blood in his veins. That's why he was thinking he was in trouble. And now it's all restored because of the kindness of a king. That's our story. Those of us who have placed our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ and received the kindness of God by faith have been blessed, healed, restored, welcomed into the family. Wow. I don't know about you, but I never want to get over that. I never want to get used to that. One of the reasons I love communion so much is that I didn't always. There was a time in my life when it was just kind of one of those routine things you did at church. And then the Lord started to deal with me about how powerful this symbol is. You know, the, the reality of being invited to the king's table and receiving the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus as a symbol of his sacrifice. Wow. Wow. I don't want to do this on autopilot. I don't want to go through this as a routine. I want to ask God every time I take communion to speak deeply into my heart that I am a favored child of the Most High God. That I am welcome to the King's table, not because of who I am, but because of who He is. And so in the outline today in your program, there's four lessons that I think this, uh, this story teaches all of us. And the first one is the lesson of God's kindness. We can't ever earn or deserve our salvation. It is given to us by grace through faith. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for the sins of the whole world, including ours. And we, we can't ever jump high enough or try hard enough to somehow earn it or deserve it. We can only receive it. And we receive it as this beautiful, gracious gift from our Father, the King, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. Isn't God good? <laughs> Hasn't he blessed us beyond anything we deserve? What a God. What a God. The Father's kindness, the King's kindness is so powerful and so real. And that's, it's, it's all the more powerful because of the second lesson, of course, which is the lesson of our brokenness. You know, the thing about Mephibosheth is that um, he was physically broken, right? I mean, he couldn't walk right for the rest of his life, not, by, not without help. His, his legs had been broken and the bones were not reset. But there was more broken in Mephibosheth than just his legs. I mean, he lost everything, right? His dad had been killed. His grandpa, the kingdom, all his hopes and dreams were gone. And there he is, 
you know, lonely and, and afraid out there hiding. Well, that's the truth about me. I think it's the truth about most of us. They say that sooner or later, uh, life has a way of breaking our heart, breaking our spirit. For me, it began when I was eight years old. I've told you the story. My dad died suddenly at home on our living room couch. And being just a kid, my older brother and my mom didn't want me to see all that was going on, so they kept sending me to my bedroom to pray. And I was a kid. My dad was dying in the other room. I, I couldn't stay in my room. I kept coming back. And they kept sending me out. I'd come back and they'd send me out. And when my dad died, to me it was because I didn't pray. And it was my fault. And on top of that, there's all the junk that comes with father hunger and the father wound. A lot of people know all about that. Your dad didn't have to die. A dad who's distant. A dad who's uninvolved. It leaves a wound. It leaves a, a broken place. And it takes the grace and goodness of God somewhere, sometime, to help us to understand that the perfect Father is our Heavenly Father. And to allow Him to heal us and help us and put us back together. I was thinking about the wound of performance and perfectionism that I picked up as a teenager. I've had musical gifts most of my life, and I remember kind of understanding that if I used them just right in church and other places, that people seem to like me more. <laughs> you know, I got a lot of attaboys, and so, you know what happens if that starts to get to be a little weird, you, then you have to do more to be liked more, and who you are depends on how good you do. That'll break you big time. And then there's a sin and the selfishness of the stuff you don't want anyone to know, but God knows. And all that brokenness makes us want to hide, makes us want to run, makes us want to get away. We don't really expect the king to welcome us. We, we don't really anticipate that when we come out of, the, out of the dark places, out of our hiddenness, and into the light of God's love, we don't really expect him to kindly call our name and forgive us and start to heal us Today is exactly the 39th anniversary of the first day I was pastor of a church and preached a sermon June 3rd, 1979 in Estevan, Saskatchewan, Canada. And I began a journey. My wife has done it with me. I'm in five churches. There in Estevan, then later in the city of Saskatoon then in Temperance, Michigan, down near Toledo, uh, Spokane, Washington, and finally in beautiful downtown Davidson. Uh, we've had the privilege to pastor. 
and watch God put broken people back together. I went to a little cafe in Estevan for lunch one day. The girl who waited on me was named Lori. She was about 18, and she was lonely and lost, and it just kind of came out of her. You know, she found out I was a pastor and just said, I need help. My family needs help. My mom and dad are really in a, in a tough place right now. So I said, why? You're welcome at our church anytime. She said, well, maybe we'll come. Have you ever had somebody say, well, maybe I'll come? <laughs> Don't hold your breath, right? Maybe I'll come. So the next Sunday, what happens? But Lori's mom, Ron and Eileen, are about two rows back, right where the Edmonds are sitting. And uh, as I give the message that day, they're like hanging on every word, right? That's a church of about 80 people. You know, you know when there's somebody new. And they're nodding and agreeing, and they're totally into it. And so when they left, we spoke briefly at the door, and they said, you know, we need exactly what you're talking about today. We need Jesus. And I said, well, you know, would it, be, would it work out for you if I could maybe come to your place and we could talk a little more? And in the course of that conversation, they said, well, told, told me where they lived and said, why don't you come on out later this afternoon? So I came that afternoon to their place. And sitting at their kitchen table, I said, this is how you can invite Jesus Christ to be your leader and forgiver. And guess what? They did. <laughs> and Ron and Eileen gave their hearts to Jesus. And we, back in the day, we had Sunday night church. Anybody old enough to remember Sunday night church? And I was young and crazy enough. I said, well, why don't you come to church tonight and tell the people your story? Because they're, they're going to absolutely love it. And they're like, oh, cool, let's do that. So they came. And they told their story of how they'd been searching and how they were on the edge of faith and how their story was that they had been broken by alcoholism. Their marriage was on the rocks. They had started to go to AA and things had started to improve, but they ran to this higher power deal and they weren't sure who he was, but they know they needed him. And at the right moment and the right day, their daughter invited them to church and they figured out who their higher power was. His name's Jesus. This morning I was online with Eileen. Ron and Eileen still love Jesus, as do their children and their grandchildren. God put broken people back together, and he's done it again and again and again and again, and he's here to do it today. When we bring out our brokenness and ask for God's healing, he does what only he can do. Which leads me to the next lesson, the lesson of God's restoration. He's the one who puts us back together, who heals us in the broken places, who, who responds to the, to the need and the wound and the hunger of our heart, whether it's a father hunger or an addictive problem or some kind of insecurity as he works in our lives by the power of his spirit. He makes us whole. And he invites us to be part of his forever family. And I love the part of the story that says, Mephibosheth, not only do you get the kingdom back, not only do you get this estate, and not only will you be taken care of financially, but now you belong. Now you're part of our family. 
Now you can come to dinner at the king's table. What must that have been like? Can you imagine coming to dinner? We don't know how he could have come every day, right? And sat at the king's table and eaten the king's food and been part of the, the royal family. What an amazing gift. What an amazing God we have. In Jesus Christ, as we enter into this new relationship by faith, by grace through faith, it's a gift we receive, we can never earn, we don't deserve, but we thank God for it. We receive the gift of Christ's sacrifice symbolized in communion. The broken body represented by the bread, the shed blood represented by the cup, reminding us that we can only be forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But because of him, we can be healed. We can be whole. We can be new in Jesus Christ. Which leads us finally to the lesson of our gratefulness. You know, we should never get over that. We should never get used to that. We should always be amazed by that. That God's grace is so, so wide, so deep, so powerful. And we give him our lives in return, right? It's a life for a life. It's a life for a life. If he would do that for me, then the question of my life is, what can I do for him? How can I live for him? What can I do that would please him? What should I stop doing that would displease him? How do I live my life in response to the amazing grace of God? (laughs) And so we come to this, his table. You know, historically throughout the history of the Christian church, this has been called the Lord's table. It reminds me of the king's table where Mephibosheth was invited to eat. That's why we've said it with China today. To remind us that when we come to take communion, we come to the king's table. And we have a song that I just love. It expresses that so beautifully. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And they're going to just sing it over us. We're just going to listen to them sing it. And then when they're done, we're going to take communion together. And it tells the story of Mephibosheth, and it picks up on this imagery of this uh, young boy. He's now 14, right? (laughs) I think some 14-year-old boys can be a little awkward. Anybody? You know, so here he is in the royal palace, right? He's way in over his head. He's trying to figure out this whole deal. And he comes, and he's crippled, and he can't walk, and he's always been very aware of the wound in his life and and what it's cost him. And he comes to the king's table, and when he sits at the king's table, his legs are hidden. And he's one of the family. And he's healed and whole and at home. So when you come to take the Lord's Supper today, may you understand that your brokenness, if you've received forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, is hidden. It's covered. It's paid for. It's healed. Let's listen.